just seems like I have so much content that I'm literally bursting at the seams, to be honest. Um, I have to explain that I've been, I've been creating content online for about a decade now. It's 2021. Uh, my first published article that I actually got paid for um, was in January of 2011. That's when I first started um, writing for the examiner. I was so excited because let me give you some backstory. So um, I've been writing all my life. That is something that is true to my heart. It's the calling by God. I feel like um, it's the, my purpose. It's my soul's purpose. And that's kind of how I've always positioned this yearning I have in my spirit to do what I'm doing, which is, you know, just speak, you know, to have a voice. And it's kind of funny because the story, the backstory behind why I even started writing for the examiner started from a dream. And believe you me, I have so much content that I'm bursting at the seams because I have a story of my life story and my son being born after his biological father died. I mean, there's a lot to this, but I'm going to try to stay um, focused. So I had this dream and it was one of the last dreams I had in a series of many dreams over the course of 13 years where my best friend, would always come to me after he was killed in a car accident in 1990. Okay, so my born my son was born in 97. He was born he was killed in in 1996. He was only I don't even believe, believe he was 21 yet. He was born in 1974, June 3rd, 1974 to be exact. And he was killed in the summer. I don't exactly remember if it was June, July, it must have been in July sometime because we had seen each other in June, June 3rd, 1996 was the specific day that we had gone out to see a movie and, and was the last time I saw him. Um, and so to make a long story short, he had been coming to me in my dreams you know, just weird dreams. Like, um, it would always be over the phone. So we had met as, as young kids and we were in the seventh grade, I think, when he moved across the street from my aunt, my aunt B, rest in peace to her as well. And, um, you know, just, we have this, I have this origin story with this best friend of mine where he came over, I was playing the clarinet, practicing like the nerd I was. Uh, my clarinet concerto in B flat, <laughs> which I played relentlessly to get it right. And he came over and I had been looking down and he said, hey, baby. And uh, Lord knows my eyes rolled because I am not that chick. And so as I looked up, I saw this high yellow chunky boy seemingly trying to flirt with me and I was like oh what the hell do you want and so um anyway I get I digress so um he had been coming to me in my dreams usually over phone calls because his 
young teenagers, that's what we did the most. We, we talked to each other on the phone, you know, in the middle of the night. And um, this last particular dream was, um, we had been in a house that looked like my old house, the one that my mom owned, the one that he used to come over to every day after school. And um, we had been on the porch. I'd been standing on the stairs. He had been coming towards the stairs. And in this dream, he never really spoke. He kind of just gestured. And he, he kind of, I, I don't, I, I can only re remember the feeling I got uh, when I was having this dream. And um, he was just uh, gesturing a lot and kind of giving me the impression of what he was wanting to say. I know the two things that I got out of that, that particular dream was that he's no longer, he's no longer going to visit me in my dreams. I knew that that was the last time I was going to dream of, uh, about him. And my son was 13 at the time. I knew it had been 13 years because I had been counting, you know, you know, clocking the time against my son's age. And so um, I knew for sure that he said he would, he would not come back in any of more of my dreams and that to start writing and never stop. And that's one thing that he knew about me. He knew that I loved it. And he knew that that was my soul's purpose, basically. We were very connected spiritually. And um, that's when I, I'd been unemployed at the time. And I'd been at the unemployment office on their computers because I didn't have a computer of my own. And I came across, as I was looking for work, this advertisement to, um, to be a paid writer. Paid writer, we're looking for writers. You have you know, almost carte blanche of what subject matter you wanted to talk about. And I was like, you know, the one thing I wanted to talk about was best friends because I had experienced so, such great, uh, one of the best kinds of best friendships. I, my best friend is Violet Guerrero. She's a chef in LA and my other best friend was Shonda Hughes he was um, the young man that was killed on, at 21 after he had gotten a uh, signed with um, Sony Records as a music producer he was killed in a car accident because of course they were you know they were a group of kids who loved to smoke weed and roll blunts and you know I'm sure that night they had gone out because they had just signed the contract and they were celebrating that night and um, they were on the 405 freeway. I believe it was the transition from the 405 South going on to the, the 10 East from what I understand from the story. And I know that, I know that transition. I take that transition all the time. There's a huge median in between the two uh, freeway, uh, freeways and I believe they crashed into that particular um, divider basically for the transition so um he was killed I, I got the call the next day I was in Las Vegas already I'd, I'd been in LA uh that summer me and my husband had split up and we were broken up and I'd taken him out we got we went on his birthday his birthday was June 3rd we saw the movie I believe it was I think it was Michael I think we got to go see Michael at the Century City Mall. And, um, you know, uh, it is what it is. He's not here with us anymore. 
Um, I don't think my, my, my mind could fathom or process his death. I still have a hard time with it. It's, it's kind of weird because my son is now 23 years old and it's kind of like it happened yesterday. So it's like difficult. I think that it's extremely difficult for me still. I always feel like pain doesn't really go away. You know, you just learn to cope with it better. So, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> I forgot. So, uh, oh, Lord. Oh, my God, I lost my train of thought. So, I had lost my train of thought, right? And I wasn't sure exactly what I was trying to talk about, but I <laughs> got back on track. So anyway, uh, just to give you an understanding, I've been writing for a long time. The reason why I began writing was because I had that dream from my best friend, my dead best friend, who told me to start writing and, and to never stop. And so that's where I am now, where I, I started writing and I never stopped. And so uh, this brings me to the post that I wanted to talk about, which now just seems totally out of place. But... I am going to um, stick to it. <laughs> Why I wanted to do this particular recording was because I had just um, I had just wrote on Facebook, and I, I feel like I, you know, I'm in therapy right now, and um, I I stopped going for a while, but I, I'm starting up again. I have an appointment um, actually later today, um, and I think therapy is great because it just gives you an opportunity to process. Um, what your experiences are, it, it allows you to, it's basically you hashing out your own issues while the person who's the listening ear just kind of points out and gives you terminology to explain what your experiences are so that you have the language to, to be able to understand, um, you know, the manifestations of human behavior that you are either experiencing or witnessing or whatever the case may be. So I had put up a Facebook post uh, that says confession. And I love these um, posts when I see other people do it. I know Michelle Clark in Atlanta does it. And she's um, the owner of Double Dutch Aerobics, which I encourage everyone in Atlanta to go and um, go see their facilities that they just purchased. They are a beautiful couple with two beautifully smart children and I would tell the world about them because they are just beautiful souls. But I, like her, I she always does her confessions. And I, I used to do confessions too. And now I did one today about confession. I've never, ever felt embraced by the black community. I am still considered not within the culture. Surprise, surprise. So I felt this important to speak about because um, recently I had an experience, of course, on the sister group, and I was taken back to a lot of memories I had that when, as a younger woman, I, I didn't really understand how to process my emotions behind it. And as an older woman, I have come to grips with what that is. And um, I've promised myself, I've declared to all the universe that I would never be that. 
And so I, I kind of experienced it and in a lighter form. I, I wouldn't want to attach all of that emotion to this particular in, in, you know, interaction because I don't think it was that. I think that um, people do what they do unbeknownst to even themselves uh, when it comes to how they are received and uh, whether or not they're being extremely abrasive and you know our sensitivity, sensitivity levels and things like that. So I don't want to attach too much emotion to the interaction, but it did bring me back to some deeper um, problems I had had dealing with older women. And so I, I made this post based on those emotions that, you know, I, I, I found myself, and I'm a Caribbean girl, I'm a, I'm a first generation um, Belizean American or American Belizean, however you want to say it. I always say I was born in Belize, I was conceived in Belize, but born in America. And so um, I always, uh, well, I have always felt like um, when I come across another black person typically another black person would be an african-american person they're not caribbean i'm caribbean they are not um i usually tend to get this kind of pushback when it comes to lots of things about me <laughs> there's so many different ways in which people have kind of tried to pick me apart and tried to kind of try to nudge me more in the direction of being quote unquote more black um, and I've just resisted because my parents just instilled this true to self understanding or truth to self awareness that I refuse to budge from. And so I, I don't identify with a lot of social cues and I, I really don't understand them. That's why I don't identify them. I think if I understood them, maybe I would have tried to adopt, but I don't understand them because I, I just didn't, I didn't grow up with those notions. So I don't understand them. And that's why I reject them because I'm like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it comes, to, it's so many different levels. It's like clothing, hairstyles, um, you know, social interactions, you know, when, you know, to do this or even parenting now. It's like how we parent, how we position ourselves in the world. It's like, you know, I've come to different conclusions, you know, and I always try to encourage people all people to kind of um, realize that you know you may have drawn the conclusions that you have drawn for whatever reasons I've drawn my own conclusions and I, I try to be as thorough as I can um, I'm not always right but this is where I am and so um, I wanted to share what um, people were saying on that post so comma says good God why <laughs> I'm educated I have read I am a person of color but I'm not black I'm curious and interested in understanding and I liked her post she also posted another post that says I know it's different but I never felt accepted accepted by my Indian people and then Michelle this is Michelle from um, Double Dutch Aerobics in Atlanta and she says she says where where as adults are you not considered in the culture does this stop after high school I don't think anyone can tell you what culture you are in or out of. I understand that. And I, I figured that people wouldn't really understand what I mean because um, it's such a, just a, it's so vague. I'm not being specific, but I, I welcome the opportunity to, to be more specific in the comment string, right? So my response to Michelle was, I think it's more about when I become involved in interpersonal interactions with most people who are American blacks. 
uh, that I get these types of responses or pushbacks to me, and that's to me as a person. I'm too nice, or they tell me to be quiet, or they make me feel like the conclusions I've drawn aren't valid because they don't su subscribe to the same ideologies of, as the popular culture. I know it may just be me, but I feel the pause in how I am received, like they want to shake their heads at me. And then her response to me is, uh, was, no one is in charge of a culture. In my opinion, they aren't making you feel some kind of way you are allowing them to. But I think I understand, I just think you are giving people a power they don't really own. Now, if you don't feel a part of the culture because you don't agree with the majority of the culture, then that's your conclusion to make no one else's. And I get that. And there's just a, a little bit of a miscommunication happening in that particular, in those particular interactions. And I responded to her, I said, well, I've never given it to life. You know, I've never given it life. It's almost like I observe it, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. I've, I've identified that fact since elementary school. It doesn't mean I don't notice it. I feel like I'm mentioning it now because it's one of those unspoken realities, uh, realities, if you know what I mean. It's just considered normal. I feel free. I feel liberated as a human soul, but it has dawned on me that behavior has always gone unchecked. I hope that by speaking my truth, maybe people can take it out of their subconscious and let it be a part of their conscious understanding. From my experience, American black people can be quick to judge you if you don't subscribe to all of the cultural expectations. I have been called a coon, a sellout, I've been practically bullied. At least people have made the attempt to bully me behind my not co-signing any given issue, subject, or behavior. And uh, she never really responded past that. And I have Sonjila, and I hope I'm saying her name right. Please correct me. <laughs> Sonjila, who says, sometimes it may be a geographical thing. As an African-American, I have lived in the Caribbean and South India. I think that as a foreigner in both places, I had to accept that it is not my land. But if I tried hard to learn, listen, and respect the history of the people, I was always accepted. In America, black Americans in rural areas are still not that exposed to other cultures. If you come to Miami or New York, where there are diverse populations, you would probably find a different experience. And then of course, Brian, who is the little brother, <laughs> of my, they used to be basically like my best friends. Mia, his sister was my best friend and her sister, her older sister, Averett, was someone I really admired when I was younger because she was like a dancer and she was in, you know, drama club and she was just so multi-talented. I, I always thought she was gonna be like some actress somewhere on a sitcom and she was beautiful. And so he put up a, like a, a gif of <laughs> the youngest girl from Blackish like looking like what <laughs> and so I laughed and so he's the one that kind of knows me from when I was you know a kid on the block at 23rd street and LaSalle and he goes uh well I told him I said after I saw the meme I said I you know what I mean I said your family is different they're very different I only had about four black friends growing up but those friends were different he says I hear you on that I can also totally understand your post Especially back in the day, some of us black people did not make it easy to even say hi, say hi to. 
And I said, I have to walk a thin line, be, uh, but it was my experience. It was hard to make friends growing up, and I gravitated to the kind of people who were welcoming and not judgmental of my unique way of being, talking, and acting. He says, I was, oh, I said, I was called weird, nerdy, too talkative, so many negative things, but I was taught that it wasn't about me. They'd make fun of me, they'd tell jokes about me, and I wasn't like them, so they dismissed me for it. And he says, he says, don't gotta walk any thin lines over this way, my big sis. I know exactly what you're saying. Our own people would be a-holes just because they would come across someone or something different. Really sad because we as a people stop ourselves from education and knowledge. And of course, I love that post. And I said to him, that's why I love your family so, so, so much. Because as a child, meaning I know you for when you were almost a baby, your family never made me feel that way. And so um, he loved that. And I also, he also said to me, yeah, it was a cold brainwash going on. That was around the time when being smart was not cool. And I, he said, thank you, we love y'all too. And so, um, Averett, who I don't think she realized <laughs> how much I looked up to her when I was a little girl, she says, you know, I definitely understand this post very well. I wasn't embraced until late, late in my adult life when I finally embraced all of who I am without regards of what my community, quote unquote, community thought of me. You, me, and a handful of others stood out in our neighborhood all the time because we didn't dress like everyone else, personally not, my, by, not by my choice, but because of grandma's rules. We definitely didn't speak like everyone. Um, we listened to all types of music. And most of all, we were creative people who had no issues with being who we were. I got called so many names growing up, I've always said, some of the worst racism, color, quote unquote, colorism in this case, was from my own people. I love that because that's exactly what I was talking about. So I put up a meme or a gif of, <laughs> I think it's the, it's the blue character from that Disney cartoon about your different personality types. She's the blue one. I guess she cries a lot. And I said, Averett Valley, yes. That was us. We bonded together all our lives like our own little village. That's why I loved you so much growing up. I looked up to you because you were always authentically yourself. It brings tears to my eyes to remember that the underbelly of why we were so close was because we really didn't fit in. We just stood out. And she said, but honey, look at us now, unapologetically us. And she put up a gift like swinging her hair back. So I put up a gift that was like, um, exactly in my pajamas. Cause I'm, I'm the plain Jane of the bunch. <laughs> I make no apologies about the fact that I, I don't want to go to the fancy restaurants. I'm not that person. I'm not trying to dress up. I'm not trying to do my hair. I'm very plain Jane and I'm, it's on purpose. <laughs> you know, I am, I do not covet wealth. I do not covet women who have all kinds of things going on with their hair and makeup and I'm just, I'm really plain and I love it. So, um, you know, I just wanted to share that 
with my audience because I feel like, you know, um, we all experience, you know, adversities and, and things like that. And, you know, either we're going to learn from it or we are going to be, you know, victims. And I think it's so important that we learn to uh, just grow from there and that we learn that it's not about us. You know, somebody who's projecting that onto you, it really is about them. And to let it roll off your shoulders, take it with a grain of salt and don't take it personal. Um, be true to who you are and don't try to change yourself for other people because the wonderful, beautiful, unique souls that come of it are the ones that we should treasure. You know, the people who just happen to just be themselves throughout it all. You know, that's really what I think every single human soul is trying to do is to, and I always call it, I operate from the inside out and not from the outside in. And so all of these kind of social pressures, I it, it kind of, it rolls off of me like off a duck's back. I'm like, I'm, I'm really not trying to feel you on that. <laughs> I don't hear you on that. That is not my mode of operating. I am, um, like I said, operating from the inside out. And what I want to emanate is a whole lot of love. I don't know. So that was what was on my heart. And I am really getting used to this podcasting thing. <laughs> I think I could create content all day. Just get ready. <laughs> Until my next stop hits me. <laughs>